Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermons Podcast. Uh, here in a moment, we're going to listen in on a message in our new series called Emmanuel. We're going to be talking about God being with us in the valley. But first, I want to talk, sit down and talk with Ben and get a little bit of extra context and insight, uh, some specific things about this message that we don't want you to miss. Hello, my name is Preston, and I'm the student minister at NLCC, and with me today is Ben Webb. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. It's time. <laughs> uh, so, Ben, we're doing this message on God with us, specifically God being with us in the valley. Um, why is this an important topic for us to talk about? Well, I think for the whole series, we're looking at this word, Emmanuel, God with us, and what that means. And um, I think oftentimes we feel like, uh, God is with us in the good moments uh, when, when things are going right or things are going well, but oftentimes whenever life is hard or difficult, that's when we start asking questions like, well, where's God? What, what's happening? Why would this be happening unless, unless he's abandoned me? You know, sometimes that's the thought. And that's not unique to us. That's just kind of man. We see that throughout the Psalms. Those same kind of questions are asked and, and dealt with. But ultimately what we see throughout all Scripture is that God is with us everywhere, mm-hmm. that he's always with us. And so this series is going to look at how he's with us in some of those moments when we feel like maybe he isn't. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Awesome. What's one thing that you hope people will remember after hearing this message? So we're going to talk specifically in this message about the valley and and those low spots in life. I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, some, some other aspects and hard things in life, other kind of imagery of what that looks like. But for this context, we're going to talk about valleys um, in my mind, I think of mountains. I think of you know beautiful mountains. I think of scripture that speaks of um, that's the place where you can ex- expect to find God is in the mountains and that kind of a thing. Uh, but the valley is the place where you're not in the mountains, but you can see them. You can see where God would be working, mm. but you don't seem to see him where you're at. And there's some of that kind of conflict. There's there's a little bit of like an internal conflict. There's some struggle. Um, I think that that hopefully this sermon will will help bring some reassurance to us in recognizing that uh, we're not isolated, we're not alone, um, that God is not able, um, or, or that God is not restrained from being able to be present with us in the valley. Um, there's places in Scripture of, of, like I even think, you know, deeper than a valley would be like a pit, but we read through the story of Joseph and mm-hmm. God is with him in the pit, right? So there's, and there, there's just all sorts of good Scripture and moments where you see that God actually proves himself to be a God who's with his people in the valley. Well, thanks for bringing some extra insight into this message and topic for us. Yeah, thanks for letting me come in and have a conversation. Let's go ahead and listen in on this message on God with us in the valley in our series called Emmanuel. It is Christmas time. The trees are out, the sweaters are in full effect, and we'll start with this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, says the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, There has been some debate this past week within the staff a little bit, and I took it home and quizzed my family and it got hot like there were moments where we didn't talk to each other anymore over this issue like it it became a major issue Uh, how do you spell Emmanuel 
Now, earlier we sang the song and we were singing Emmanuel and it was spelled with an E. If you look on the screen right now, or if you're watching at home, you saw this slide pull up as we began the sermon here. You'll notice that the sermon series is called Emmanuel, God with us, or God is with us, and it is spelled with an I. And so I think you can probably see which one's the correct one. <laughs> All right. Uh, this was a big deal. Like, I, I thought it was pretty clear that it's spelled with an I. I thought everybody knew that. And then I found out that everyone thought I was wrong. Uh, big debate here. All right, so, so here's what I found out. I had to do some research, and I figured that if you're the observant type and you saw this stuff and you noticed this, even just within our own service here, that you probably had some questions, and so I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to put this debate to rest and make it really easy for us, okay? Uh, Emmanuel is a, is, is a word. It means God is with us. And the King James Version, you know, when, when that was the popular version in English for us to read and, and was the predominant version, they spelled Emmanuel with an E, which is why during that time period, a lot of the songs and hymns that came out or a lot of the other writings that happened when the King James Version was like the only English version that existed, then oftentimes that they would refer to Emmanuel, they would spell it with an E because that's how it was spelled in that Bible. However, since then, since, since the KJV or since, since there's become other English translations where we've gone through all this stuff and to where the King James Version probably isn't even any longer the predominant version that's used, although maybe it still is in some places. Most other English versions will refer to Emmanuel, they will spell it with an I. There's a couple versions that use both just to mess us all up. All right, and here's what I found out. Emmanuel is a word that is transliterated, all right? Now that's a big fancy word here, which means you take a language that has a different alphabet and you translate that song or that, that, that word into your language with your alphabet. And what you do is you take your alphabet and you compare it to that alphabet and you just translate it letter by letter. And in the Hebrew, if you do that, you'll come up with Emmanuel spelled with an I. But if you do it with the Greek, you'll come up with Emmanuel spelled with an E. That's the difference. That's why there's two words and clearly I'm right, so we're going to move forward, all right? Moving, <laughs> moving forward, Emmanuel, this is what we're doing. More than how you spell this word, what we're going to focus on over this next month is how you live this word. What does this word mean? God is with us. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it. We celebrate this word and we celebrate God with us in the manger we celebrate every Christmas season. We, we make a big deal about Jesus has come to earth. God has come to earth in the form of man. He's with us in that sense. And that's a great thing for us to celebrate. And we make a big deal about this word. They're told that his, you know, that this prophetic and Mary and Joseph, they're told his name is Emmanuel. It means that God is with us. All this stuff, right? And it's great and it's beautiful, except that to some extent, we look at all that and it sounds a lot like God was with us. Like there's a point in time in history, there's a moment when he shows up and when he participates in being in humanity with us. And, and it's 33 years long before he eventually dies. And that was when God was with us. But if that's true, then that suggests that when, when that period isn't existent in time, since we aren't in that time period in, in existence with him in that specific moment, time, and place, then it means that God isn't with us. And I think we've experienced both of these realities. I think there's parts of us 
where, where we've experienced the presence of God and we feel like he's with us, but there's other times when we look around and we begin asking questions like, where is God now? Why isn't he with me right now? Has he abandoned me? Has he left me? There's some language that we use in Christian culture. If you've been around church for a long time or if you've been in Christian culture for a long time, you've probably heard uh, the, the idea of a mountaintop experience. And that comes from a story in the Old Testament around Moses who's leading the nation of Israel. And when he would visit with God, when God would give him instructions, he would go up onto a mountain and he'd meet with God, sometimes for weeks. And when he would come down from the mountain, his face would be like glowing because he'd been in the presence of God and it created this awkward moment between him and the people and even him for himself. He would take a veil and cover it up because it was just kind of this, this strange existence, all this stuff, right? But it was a mountaintop experience. And to have a mountaintop experience, that's that feeling of, of God is present with you. It's that moment when you feel his presence, that it's not just a mental uh, attaining to believing that he's there with you, but it's that you feel it spiritually, you feel it emotionally, that you have a sensing to, to the idea that God is actually with you in this moment. And that may happen for you in all sorts of different contexts. I think of worship. It doesn't happen for me every week in the context of what we do here on a Sunday morning in worship, but there's these moments when it does. There's these times when in the midst of singing corporately and hearing voices behind me and around me and the words of the song, all of it kind of comes together in a moment and I sense the presence of God. I have an experience where I feel like he's close when I feel like God is with us. Uh, maybe for you it's, it's like walking through a forest or woods and seeing creation, it's, it's being out on an actual literal mountain and looking out and experiencing the beauty of God. That's, that's my wife. She was born in Colorado. She had mountains in her backyard. Not in her backyard, but from her backyard, you could see them. And she felt God's presence there. If, if you took my wife to the mountain, she would break out in worship and celebration of who her God is and creator. Maybe for you, it, it's the holding of your child or, or being with family, uh, seeing people that you love and that you love you, and it causes you to feel the blessings of God, which causes you to break into worship because you sense his presence there closely. Those are those mountaintop experiences, those moments when we feel his presence, when we feel collectively that he's with us. It's not just with God. I mean, that happens in other contexts as well. We have those kinds of things in our other relationships. You have that in your marriage or with your kids. You have that with your coworkers. You have that with, with friends or family. I mean, whatever that may look like. There's, there's these moments in life where everything's easy. When you're, when you're clicking, when everyone's on the same page, when it's, when it's easy to make decisions and it's easy to work together and everyone's getting along and it's, and it's life-giving and it's powerful and you feel this great intimacy and presence within everybody who's all together and that's a normal thing, except that the reality is, is that we don't live on mountaintops. That's not our full experience. That we can't always be in that place and that life doesn't always put us in that place, but that sometimes we find ourselves in the valley. And we experience that in our other relationships as well, right? Like, like there's these moments where even as good as your marriage may be, it feels like pain and torture. <laughs> that is work. That every conversation, like it's simple. Like we should be able to decide what to get for dinner without having to argue, right? But it's dangerous and it's tense and it's difficult. There's these moments in relationships when it's just not easy. Even the easy things aren't easy anymore. And sometimes it's that way with your kids or your coworkers or your friends or whoever else it might be. And it's the same with God. 
There's these moments in our relationships with him when we don't feel like we're on the mountaintop. In fact, we feel very distant. We don't have that feeling of intimacy. It doesn't seem like he's there with us. And we start wondering what's going on and what's wrong and why is this relationship the way that it is. And it can happen or be spurred in all sorts of different ways. Maybe it's when you lose your job or maybe you lose a relationship. Maybe, maybe it's whenever uh, some bad news comes. Maybe it's a visit to the doctor and they use the word cancer. Maybe you find yourself in the first vehicle in a line in a procession behind a hearse. In those moments, it's really easy to feel alone and to feel like you're isolated. In those moments, it's really easy to feel like you're in a valley and it's really easy to feel like you aren't in the presence of God. It causes us to ask questions, where are you now? I mean, we celebrate Emmanuel, God is with us, except that there's these moments in life when it feels like he isn't with us. And it hurts, and it causes us to question and ask. There's a great story in 1 Kings chapter 20. I'd encourage you at some point to go back and read the full story. It's really fascinating. I'll kind of give you the, the Cliff's Notes version here, all right? 1 Kings chapter 20. There's a king named Ahab. He's overall a very awful king. He leads Israel very poorly, but he gets a couple things right, and you'll find them in 1 Kings chapter 20. Uh, he's leading the nation of Israel in the midst of, of a battle. They're, they're set up, they're in their camp, and their adversaries in a camp, and they're being led by a king named Ben-Hadad. And Ben-Hadad has assembled all these other kings and all these other groups, and they've come together to wage war against Israel and to overthrow them. And And uh, you know, Ahab is in the camp with his, his group and Ben-Hadad is in their camps and it's kind of reaching the end of war season, which is, I just think that's funny to say, all right? But there was times when you wouldn't fight. It's, it's the winter, it's too cold. It's, I mean, whatever else, you, you take your ball and go home. And so they weren't gonna keep fighting through all that. It's nearing the end of it all. And, and, and Ben-Hadad and his kings are all in their tents and Ahab receives this word from God and he says, all of your adversaries are drunk in their tents. It's time to attack. And he tells Ahab, I want you to go sneak up and attack these people. And Ahab says, well, who should I send? And God tells him exactly who to send. And Ahab says, well, how should we do it? And God tells him exactly how to do it. And Ahab listens and does. Like Ahab follows God's leading and they go and they completely rout these armies because they're not prepared. They push them out of the area. They send them off at the end of this war season that exists. They send them off with their tails between their legs and they're miserable and they're upset. And Israel has this great victory. God tells Ahab, you need to refortify where you're at. Uh, where you've just removed them, you need to refortify because they're gonna come back. And for months in this dead season of war when he can't go to battle, for months Ben-Hadad is stewing on this loss. He is upset. And he's talking to these other kings and they're all trying to evaluate and figure out how did this happen? We had them outnumbered. How did this small little army come and push us out? It doesn't make sense. And this is what they come to the conclusion of. And I love this. It's in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23. Here's the reasoning they come up with. Their gods are gods of the hills. That is why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, if we fight them in the valleys, then surely we will be stronger than they. Their conclusion is that the God of Israel is a God who lives in the mountains. But if we can pull them away from the mountains, if we can find the valleys, then we'll have victory there. Now, what I love about this is that God sends a prophet to Ahab. 
And he tells Ahab this, verse 28, just skip down. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28. This is what God communicates through his prophet now to Ahab. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. God said, I'll meet you on the valley. And they go into battle there. And it's an incredible story. These nations that have come together are vast in number, greatly exceeding what Israel has. And we're told that as they go into battle, Israel slays 100,000 of their army that day, completely overwhelms them in one day in the valley. And God wants to make it very clear to his people, but to the world in that moment, he is not just a God of the mountains, he's a God of the valleys. And that means for us that if we don't see God as a Lord of the valleys in our life, as well as the mountaintops, then our view of God is too small. Have you ever been to a valley? And I don't mean that in a figurative sense. I mean that in the literal sense. Have you ever been there? I know that we live in St. Joseph County, and there's not a whole lot of land fluctuation going on here. All right, everything's pretty flat. But have you ever traveled? <laughs> like, have, you ever, have you ever gone somewhere that did have mountains? Have you ever been in that place where you could be up high and see down into the valley? It's a powerful experience. I grew up going to a camp in the Guadalupe Mountains of southeast New Mexico. It's a beautiful mountain range. It's, it's dry, mountainous kind of a, a range. And, and when we would go to camp, there would be these hikes that we would take. And one of them we called the ridge. We would hike on a, on a wide path. It wasn't like a little trail. It was a wide path that was really kind of built for uh, off-road vehicles that they could drive up this path. We're camp, we were hiking, all right? And so we're walking on this trail going up. And if you'd never been on this hike, you wouldn't even know what you're walking by. There's this one little part that's completely covered with trees. You wouldn't know, you would need to take me. And when you go, take me, we'll, we'll go, I'll show you, all right? And so you're walking and there's these trees. And there's this little specific part that if you just kind of like walk through the trees, it, it, the trees are actually kind of thin. And if you get to the other side of these trees, it opens up just incredibly. And there's a large area uh, big enough for an entire camp to walk through these trees and go and kind of set up in this location. But you're actually on a cliff, which is terrifying. This is actually the place that I developed a fear of heights, all right? And so you go into this spot and you stand out on this cliff and you can see just incredibly, there's these trees all along you, but you have a 180 degree view otherwise, just completely out. And you can see this mountain range that it looks like you could just hit it with a rock. It's that close, but it's so far away, just wrapped all around you. And as you stand on this cliff, you look straight down for many, many feet, all right, hundreds of feet, straight down until it kind of hits the bottom of that valley and then it starts coming back up and these mountains right out in front of you. It's an incredible view. In that same area, there's this uh, dirt road that I drove a couple times with some friends that I look back on it now, I can't believe that my parents would let us do what we were doing. There was no responsible adult in the vehicle with us, all right? But we're driving these dirt roads along these mountains and there's these cliff edges all around us as we're going. And there was this spot where these teenagers in a car driving and everything just opens up. And it felt like this road was like up on the ridge of a mountain. Like at the very top, it felt like there was cliff on just both sides as we're going on this thing. And we come to a complete stop and we just sat in silence as we looked out. There was this valley that I can't even begin to do justice in words here of what we saw. It wasn't, it wasn't like a short valley within like another mountain. It wasn't like a little crack in between the mountains, right? This was an expansive place. You could see mountains, but they were way off, way off. But there was this massive, flat earth right in between us. And it was incredible to sit there and to be able to look out and, and then to like 
to crave, to want to go out into this valley, to be able to look up at the mountains that surrounded it and everything else. Just incredibly beautiful. Now here's the deal. The Bible speaks of mountains as being the place where you can expect to find God and interact with him. It speaks that way. Scripture says mountains are the place you can expect to find God. It says it in Psalm 48. It says it in Micah 4.2. It says it in Psalms chapter 121. And it says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my hope come from? My hope comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Like there's this very reality here that when we find ourselves in the valleys, when we find ourselves in the low spots in life, there's this part of us that we look to, to, to the concept of a valley. It's in a place where you can view the mountains, which are great and glorious and incredible. And there's this idea, there's this mindset that when we're in the valley, we can look to the mountains and we can expect to see God in those experiences. But that's not the full story. I mean, when you go into the mountains, the scripture says we can expect to interact with God there. But it's not just that when we're in the valleys, we can see where God's at. God isn't just a God of the mountains. He's also a God of the valleys, that he's present in those locations as well. And one of the, one of the chapters and, 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 and sections of scripture that I think speaks beautifully to this is Psalm 23. It's a famous psalm that you're probably familiar with. Some of you may even have it memorized, but I'm going to go ahead and read it for you here so you can hear and you'll remember it as we go through this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, or he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David gives us a picture of the valley, all right? And he says that sometimes we find ourselves in the valley and it feels like in the valley we're distant from God. As we talk about Emmanuel, God is with us. It seems like sometimes in the valley God isn't with us. It feels like when we're in the valley we can see where God's at. We can see where we can interact with God. But it feels like in the valley he's not here. He's not with us. He's not present. But I love what David says about this valley. And he calls it the valley of the shadow of death. This isn't a place that you'd want to find yourself in. And yet he says, in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear any evil because you are with me. That David says that while we're in the valley, we're with a shepherd. And this is incredible. This shepherd leads us to pastures, right? Like he guides us and he leads us. We see that he says he makes me lie down in green pastures. That sounds really great, except that that green pasture is in the valley of the shadow of death. That's not what you would have wanted. That's not what you would have chosen. And yet there's still provision because he's with you. David says, you've, you've prepared a table before, uh, before me. You, you've prepared this incredible feast that sounds like God is with me, except that at this feast, at this banquet, there's also David's enemies. David says, you've prepared a table before me with my enemies. Well, that's not what I would have chosen. That's not what I would have wanted, right? Like this valley, this low spot, that's not what I would have selected. And yet in the midst of this valley, in the midst of this hard time, God has blessed it. God has still cared for me in this moment. God is still actually with me. He's present. The whole focus of Psalm 23 is the fact that this shepherd is with David. 
It doesn't ignore all the bad things. David highlights a lot of the good things, but it's also some bad. There's some difficult moments here. But through it all, the presence of the shepherd is there. When we find ourselves in the valley, we don't find ourselves away from Emmanuel. It doesn't start in the manger. He's been there all along. That his presence is with us, whether in the valley or on the mountaintop. One of the things David says is that this is a walkthrough. He calls it a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's important because a walk through means that's not where we're trying to go. That the shepherd doesn't lead you to the valley of shadow of death and say, hey, we're here. (laughs) But that it's part of the journey. Like he's leading you through that. You're going somewhere else. You're pursuing something else. And there's another verse that I think speaks really well to that. It's in Psalm chapter 84, verses 5 through 7. And the writer here, he says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. These are people who are in pursuit, trying to get to God. And it says that they pass through the valley of Baca and they make that a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools and they go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. Now, as you read that psalm, it sounds very nice. Sounds like it's an encouraging thing. There's these people who are pursuing, they're trying to get to God and they're going through this little valley. It doesn't sound all that significant, but there's some very significant language barriers here. The Valley of Baca is probably not a real place. Uh, There isn't anyone who knows for sure exactly where this Valley of Baca is. Now, Baca is a Hebrew word, which meant balsam. Balsam is a type of a tree that I don't, have a clue what it looks like, all right? But when I, when I hear balsam, as, I've, as I studied this out, balsam trees are known for having a resin that pours out of it, just kind of like seeps and leaks out of these trees. I, again, I don't have a clue. In my mind, I'm imagining like a maple tree or I'm thinking of like a pine tree where it has like the sap that comes out of it, all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm envisioning. I don't know how accurate that is, right? But you have balsam trees that have this resin that pours out. Balsam trees, balsam Baca, the valley of Baca, means balsam. That's also how Hebrews said weeping. That when they looked at a balsam tree, they saw it as a tree that was weeping, that just had this pouring out of it. And so they took that word and they used that for themselves. When they were weeping and in like a state of mourning, it was this crying, it was like balsam to them, this resin that was just pouring out from within them. It changes how this psalm sounds. It changes a lot of what this psalm looks like. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who set their hearts on pilgrimage, people who are pursuing you to get to you. As they pass through the valley of weeping, as they, place, as they, as, as they move through, as they pass through the valley of weeping, it says that they make it a place of springs. It's not a place of springs. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, because in that strength they can make it a place of a spring. Where, where there can be life that comes up. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Autumn rains are not the good rains. We like the spring rains, the warm rains, the one that, that bring warmth and life and, and newness out of the winter and, and the frozen existence that we understand. Autumn rains are different though. Autumn rains are cold and they, they bring like a shiver to our bones. They mean that the season of, of warmth and life has come to an end. There's a sorrow and a sadness that comes with it. It's, it's just so different, this 
this psalm when you begin to understand baka and weeping. And he says that they go from strength to strength until they appear before God in Zion. They go from strength to strength. Then in the midst of being in a valley of weeping, blessed are those whose strength is you, or whose strength is in you, who've set their hearts on pilgrimage. They go from strength to strength until they appear before you. People who are living, not on their own strength or on their own abilities, but on the strength that comes from God. That in the midst of the valley of weeping, they've developed a dependency on God that would allow them to have enough strength just for today. And tomorrow they're going to rely on just enough strength for that day to get through until they are able to meet God face to face. Warren Wearsby describes the Valley of Baca as any difficult and painful place in life. It's where everything seems hopeless and you feel helpless like the pit of despair. It makes me think of Joseph in the Old Testament when his brothers throw him in the pit and he can hear them discussing how they're going to kill him and what they're gonna tell their father and how this is gonna play out. And at the end of it all, they decide to sell him into slavery. I mean, can you imagine his experience in this very literal physical pit and hearing these conversations and then even seeing how it gets resolved? I mean, I've never been there, but I've been there. I've been in the pits of despair. I've been in the moments of valleys. I've, I've been to the Valley of Baca. I've gone through it. And I look back and I, and I see how this is played out in my life and I see how this psalm comes to life. That those who trust and worship God, that they can expect, expect to pass through the valley of weeping. It's not, a, it's not a place that we dwell, it's a place that we pass through. And we pass through because our eyes are focused on God. That we see the valley of weeping not as a place of despair, but as a place to experience the Lord's faithfulness even more deeply. I mean, can we recognize for those of us who've been through valleys and through those pits of despair, if you can look back on it, that you're not currently there, if you can look back on those valleys in your life and you can see how God led you through that valley on the other side, you can look back and you can recognize his presence through the whole way. That in the moment you couldn't see it, in the moment it didn't make sense to you, in the moment you just felt the hurt and the pain and the burden and he didn't comprehend it and you didn't want it, but you can look back now and you can see that God's provision was enough that he led you, that he was there. That he led you through this valley of weeping and that because of it you experienced God in a deeper way than you can on the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, everything's good and everything's fun and everything's healthy and everything's easy and convenient, but in the valley, everything's work. But you see a depth of love and care and tenderness that you can't see on the mountaintop. In the valley, you experience God in a much more filling way. For some of you, you've been through that. You know that. Some of you are in the middle of that. And it's hard and it's bleak. And yet it's true. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and, and it's a famous quote that you've probably heard before. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, meaning when we're on the mountaintop and everything's just incredible, that God, God's voice is just like a whisper to us. And then he says that he speaks in our conscience, meaning when life is normal, that, that his voice is audible, but it's a normal level. It's just that conscience that's in your head. And then he says, but shouts in our pains. God shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. That when we find ourselves in the midst of the valley, that is the time and that is the place, that is the, that is the point 
when God's voice is most likely to be the loudest in your ear? Because he is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He is is the one who sees and is present. He cares and he walks with us. That our God is not just a God of the mountains, but he's a God of the valleys. What I love about Psalm 23, and even what we see in Psalm 84, is that we're being shown that there's a shepherd who's with us. That, that we don't find ourselves alone, that we find ourselves in hard moments, we find ourselves in the valley of shadow of death, we can find ourselves in the valley of weeping, and yet even so we aren't alone, that he chooses to participate and be present. And there's a story that I think sums that up beautifully. It's in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is entering into a town with his disciples, and as they're walking in, there's a funeral procession walking out, and it's a widowed woman who's walking behind the casket of her only son. Now, in that moment, in that moment, you have to understand that this woman is not just mourning the loss of her son and her child, and she's not even, you know, she's a widowed woman, and so this isn't even like a second time to mourn the loss of her husband as well. It's not just the emotional loss of relationship and people that she loves and cares for. That's not only what's happening here. This woman no longer has a future. She's lost the two men in her life who would provide her future for her. She's alone, and she's now destitute. She has nothing And it's all gone. And so she's mourning the loss of people that she loves. She's mourning the hurt of what's happening in her life, but she's also looking forward and recognizing that she doesn't know what tomorrow holds. And she doesn't know what's happening the day after that. She has found herself in the valley of Baca. And she finds Jesus with her. Jesus goes and he stops this procession. He eventually raises her son back to life, which is miraculous and incredible and an incredible gift to this woman in her deepest, darkest day. But before he does that, he wants her to know that he sees her. He wants her to know that while she's going through this valley, she isn't doing it alone, that he's present, that he's aware, that he cares about it, that he's invested in this and that he shows up That this isn't just Emmanuel, God with us, but that this is literally Emmanuel, God with us. That he walks into this moment with her and he shares the pain with her. But beyond that, he doesn't want her to just know that he's with her. He wants her to also see him. Because his presence doesn't have much value if you aren't willing to see it. She needs to know he sees her, but she also needs to be able to see him, if you find yourself in a valley right now, if a valley of weeping defines the stage in life you're in, if you are existing in the valley of the shadow of death, if your life right now can be defined as being pain and hurt, uh, conflict and difficulty, that nothing's easy and everything's a burden, and you're looking around and you've been asking the question, God, where are you? God, I've been asking you to lead me in this place. God, I've been asking you to make something happen in my life. God, I've been asking for some sort of relief from what I'm experiencing. God, I want you to show up in a real way. And you keep asking and you keep asking and you keep looking around and you've convinced yourself that he's not aware or you've convinced yourself that he isn't present. If you found yourself in some sort of a valley right now, what I need you to hear more than anything is that he is present, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. 
And it didn't start with him in a manger. It started with him in the very beginning. In creation, that we were with him. That he brought us into his presence and that he has not removed his presence from us ever since. That all through the Old Testament you will find stories of God with his people. That he is a God who is with us. This is what he's about. He introduced us to Jesus in the manger and we call him Emmanuel, God with us. But that's not where it starts and it doesn't end at the cross. In fact, Jesus, when he's dead, he tells, you know, he comes back to life and he, and he speaks to his disciples and he tells them, I'm going to leave and something even better is coming. In our mind, we think Jesus on stage would be pretty great. But no, he says, God is with you. Emmanuel, God is with us. He's coming and he's going to live in you. That we have God with us in a very real, literal way. And that's not dependent on you being on a mountain or being in a valley. That he is present, he is with you. Church, is my prayer for us. That we would open our eyes and see that we would be willing and able to see exactly how he's with us regardless of the place we find ourselves in. If hearing this message has given you a desire to reach out and connect with a pastor, then we want to encourage you to do that. Use the links in the description to reach out and a pastor will be in contact with you. We'd love to start that conversation. Also, if you're looking for some extra resources, something to do with your family this holiday season, last year we put out a great Advent series to help walk through the story of, of Christ's coming and, and the different emotions and the different things that are associated with Advent and just get us into a heart of anticipation and eagerly awaiting the coming Messiah. We want that to be a resource that you can use this year as well. It's called Not Yet Christmas, and you can find it on our YouTube channel, North Liberty Church of Christ. Well, thanks for listening in and participating in this message with us. We look forward to doing it again with you next week. 